Hey everybody, I'm Garrett. And I'm Melissa. We've been married for eight years and have two kids, Caleb and Sadie. Over the last few years, we have fallen in love with the scriptures and are learning how digging into God's word has helped us grow deeper with each other and those around us. We want to be real about our lives, our struggles, and our joys. This is Growing Deeper. Hey guys, before we get to the podcast, just want to remind you to rate and review the podcast. That'll make sure that if somebody looks up Exodus or Ruth, uh, that they will be able to pull up our podcast and, and see what we have to say on different sections of the Bible. Also, if you have any questions or comments or things that you want to share with us, uh, you can email us now. We now have an email address of growingdeeperpodcast at gmail.com. That's growingdeeperpodcast at gmail.com. Shoot us an email. We'd love to hear from you, even just uh, saying, hey, we're listening and really appreciate it or something like that. I don't know. Uh, shoot us an email. We'd love to hear from you. Now on to the podcast. We're so excited to jump into Exodus chapter 17. I can't believe that we are almost <laughs> to the halfway mark. We're not even to the halfway uh, mark though. No, but it's close. <laughs> <laughs> I can see it on the horizon now. Yeah. And so, but before we do that, I think it's only fair that since I shared my embarrassing story last time. Which was your idea, so it's not like a fairness thing. True. It was your idea to do it. True. So uh, like I made you do the, it. The only, the only right thing to do this week would be for me to not share anything and for you to share your what, embarrassing which, story. Which, by the way, with the embarrass- one with, with embarrassing, embarrassing stories, stories, I mean, the thing, like... I think every everybody has embarrassing stories that mm-hmm. they think about. Like everybody has something in their life where they they look back and they reflect on it, and it's like one of those things where whenever you think of it, like if it's late at night mm-hmm. and you think of it, not good. You're not gonna go to sleep that not night because it is going to be stuck in your mind, like because you can't, you just can't get rid of it. It's yep. just it, you're you're just kicking yourself for something you did ten, fifteen years ago. And uh, for sure, I have many, many of those. I, I actually, I was just thinking of a, it's it's crazy. I was thinking of one that I haven't thought of in a long time. Just the other day, and this, you know, this wasn't so much an embarrassing story, which I will tell an embarrassing story. So don't freak out. Um, but I was thinking about a another story. It's almost just like a shame that I felt from a situation, and how I just kept. I like I I still kick myself for it and. Whenever I was in high school, um, I think I was a senior, and but I had uh, I had a German teacher that I really really liked, and um, which I don't really know like a German anymore. But he we had a really good relationship, and and me and my one of my buddies uh, were just kind of hanging out in his room. Like you could go into his room and just hang out while he was teaching class. You know, if you had a free period or something. And so me and my buddy were in there. And we were just kind of hanging out and listening to him teach or whatever. And we ended up like, on we were on his computer and we ended up like looking at people's grades. And he caught, he caught us. And the, sh- like the extreme shame that I felt because it was like, it's something I knew I shouldn't do. And I betrayed his trust. And I felt like for, from that moment, I felt like I had just completely let this person down and that he would never trust me again kind of thing. And mm-hmm. I, I can still feel the shame of it. Like, and, and I'm so, like, and, and maybe I wasn't so much then, but I, I definitely am now very much of a rule follower. I don't like to be in trouble for things. Like if, 
if you tell me to do something, I'm going to do it that way and that you know, and I'm gonna I'm gonna follow the rules for the most part and I don't like to be caught outside the rules. And I was I was definitely doing something I shouldn't have been doing and it it caught me it you know, he caught me doing it and just that feeling of letting somebody down, that has always been something with me of just that uh that desire to always like meet and exceed people's expectations of me. And so whenever I don't do that, it sticks with me. And that was something I was I was running. I was running and it can't it just all of a sudden came to my oh, mind and it was like you should be shamed. <laughs> and I was like, that it. And so then you like it sticks in your mind and for whatever reason it made me these embarrassed because it sticks yeah. with you and you feel those like you can actually feel those same feelings you felt in that moment. Yeah. Um, whenever it comes to your mind, it's amazing how your mind works that way. And it works that way. I feel like more so for negative things than it does for positive things. Like it's really hard. I, I, I do have some good nostalgic feelings. I, we were just talking, uh, watching, I was watching a re- replay of the masters, uh, the other night and hearing like the birds chirping and stuff in the background. And I, I was like, Melissa, I can actually feel spring like in my deepest parts, mm-hmm. you know, like the, I can feel the humidity of a Georgia <laughs> spring and I can like all of a sudden just listening to the masters uh, and hearing the background noise of a previous masters tournament, I could feel that setting. Yeah. It was really crazy. Okay. So anyways, I will actually get to the embarrassing story. All now. right. <laughs> Uh, so I have, like I said, I have many of these embarrassing stories, but the, I think the one that takes the absolute cake for me. Is this the one that I think it is? I don't know. What do you think the it one, is? We talked about it last week. I don't, was it the one from Winterfest? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. Um, this is the one that by far takes the cake for me. I, if you don't know, if you don't know me, I spent a long time doing youth ministry. Uh, what, why did youth ministry for like 10, 10 years? maybe 12 years, somewhere between 10 and 12 years, I was, I was heavily involved in youth ministry from whenever I graduated high school, uh, all the way to like 2018. Mm -hmm. I was, um, heavily involved with youth ministry. I love doing youth ministry. I always wanted, uh, other kids to feel, uh, to feel loved and cared for the way that I felt loved and cared for whenever I, whenever I came to know Jesus. And so I always was like, you know, I wanted to do for others what was done for me and to carry that on. And and I always, I I just found my place in doing youth ministry and being there for teenagers and uh, making them feel loved and cared for. Anyways, one of those things that comes along with that is going to retreats. And so I I went to what is called Winterfest. It's up in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. And you just spend a weekend up there. There's thousands of kids um, that are there. And one of the nights... uh, we would do like an open mic night, which is kind of a come spill, <laughs> spill all your beans. Uh, or, you know, like let people know like some things that you're dealing with and no shame here and kind of thing. And it would always be super emotional. And, um, and me which being Garrett is like notoriously emotional. With oh yeah, stuff for like sure. Yeah. Because he cares about people so much and he's very passionate about, the things that he cares about. I yeah. mean, so those things make him react emotionally. Yeah. It, like I have, there's something about me that like whenever I hear somebody tell a story, I can feel what I just have extreme empathy 
and I can feel the way that they feel in that moment. And, and so it, um, I, I am very reactionary to that. St- like I, I, I can relate and I, I can feel the hurt and the pain that these kids are going through. And so, you know, when, whenever I hear those stories, I mean, they, like I, I hurt and I, you know, and I cry and I get, you know, I get really sad and, you know, or even thinking of happy things, I get emotional and stuff. And so like, and he literally, he cannot control it because no. for the long, for a while he was like, I hate that I always react that way, that I yeah. like always cry and stuff. Yeah. It's something, it's a part of me that I'm like almost embarrassed of and which is part of this embarrassing story yeah. is that aspect of me um, and just like what it does and how, you know, how it can, and I, I legitimately cannot control it. And, uh, but anyways, there was, there was a, there was a young girl, she was in middle school at the time, um, uh, that she, she had, was having a horrible time with her family and going through things that no child should have to go through. Um, and you know, she got up there and she started telling us about it and I'm just like, I'm just boohooing, you know, and I, I'm, I'm emotional about it. And, and a lot of it, there's a lot of things that I went through that I've gone through in my life that very much related to the things that she, that she was going through. And so not only do I normally feel empathy for, especially for a child, for this middle school girl who is like lost in the world and feels like nobody cares about her. Um, and who's just voicing it with all this courage uh, to, to even be willing to say it. And so not only do I already feel empathy with that, but then I, I feel the empathy within my own, you know, like my own life and my own backgrounds and stuff. And everybody that's listening also knows that too. They knew the things that I had gone through and the things that, that went on in my life. And so they knew that I was going to relate well with the things that she was going on. The problem is, is I didn't know who she was. <laughs> so she was new. Like it, she was kind of new. To the tra- and she's a girl. And I, I know I mostly hung out. I was, I, I hung out with middle school boys and high school boys. Yeah. I, if, if I got to know the girls, it was because they had brothers or because they just got to know me and like I just tried to stay with the boys that was my wheelhouse. I mean that's where I needed to be in ministry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh so but I I didn't know who this girl was. She's a middle school girl, she's new and you know she's she's going through all this stuff and I I'm feeling all of that. At the same time I don't know who she is. Well, after she finishes her her thing and talking about all the stuff she, she she's going through the youth ministry at the time uh, knowing what I had gone through, looks at me and says, Hey Garrett, would you mind praying for her? <laughs> and I look up and I was like wide eyed because I'm like, when you get asked to pray for somebody that you don't even know their name, it, it is completely just dislodging. You don't know what to do with it. And but, also you're crying <laughs> and I'm crying. I'm crying for this person. I don't know her name. And I, and I'm being asked to pray in front of everybody for her specifically for her and i'm i'm just boohooing and and so whenever when it happened i immediately I, I had one of our one of our boys was sitting next to me and i was like jim jim what what is her name what is her name <laughs> and it, i thought he said hallie and her name is hallie i was like okay hallie okay and i start going through it and and when if you don't know somebody's name and you're praying for them you use a lot of she's and hers and yeah. you don't ever say the the name but then i did say hallie uh probably quite a few times as i'm boohooing i am crying for this girl saying the wrong name 
oh, yeah. for her. Spoiler, her name's Allie. And her name is actually Allie. Not- and I'm calling her very clearly Hallie in the middle of the prayer. Just imagine how Garrett says, Hesed. <laughs> Yeah. Hallie. <laughs> so I, I like every orifice in my face has stuff coming out of it. it. I mean, it's just like I'm, I'm just horribly sad for this, for this girl. I want something more for her. I don't know her name, and I'm saying the wrong name. And, uh, and actually, uh, our, our, our youth minister at the time, he actually has his hand out, catching snot from my nose. <laughs> It was horrible. It was it was a situation where I'm feeling all of these emotions of like extreme like just shame and like fear of not doing something right along with this extreme desire to like I want to show this girl that she is cared about and she mm-hmm. is loved. Nothing and- <laughs> makes you feel more special than someone getting your not name saying wrong. Your thing wrong. And oh my goodness! And from that, I I have never forgotten that night. I it was it was so and and especially coming to the realization, like because I didn't know it at the moment, mm-hmm. but coming to the realization, I said her name wrong three or four times. When did you find out? Like right after? Oh, I I think it was after because I I think I think Jim came up to me and was like, no, I told you her name was Allie. <laughs> And uh, and I'm like, oh, damn it, Jim! Why didn't you tell me? Uh, but uh, you know, it's just it's one of those moments where you just you live and you learn through it. And I don't really know what I learned from it because I felt like <laughs> you I got said you live and you learn, <laughs> but and I didn't learn anything. anything. But it's a <laughs> because I was so called out in that moment. And uh, but man, you know, if if anybody ever did, I I really really do care, and it's something that. Um, it, it's, I hate that my emotions take over, but hate. at the same, I hate, hate, um, I hate that my emotions take over, um, and kind of get in the way of me. But at the same time, it's like, that is part of who I am. Whenever yeah. I got on, when I was on Zola for my anxiety, I lost that. And that was just really, I realized it at some point. Yeah. yeah it, it took me a little while. I was like, I'm just not emotional in this moment. He, I mean, it was like, he couldn't, he wouldn't cry at anything. Yeah. And and I and I remember looking like and this is another one of the girls that had been in the youth group for a while and she'd kind of come in and out and she was graduating and every time a, a kid's graduating that I've spent seven years with, you know it it was like it it tore me up you know mm-hmm. to be like hey you know this kid that you've spent seven years with that you've dedicated time, you know you wanted to go to breakfast with them invite them to your house and all this stuff that you want to show that they're worth something mm-hmm. now all of a sudden they're they're going. And they're leaving and you've put, you've invested stuff in them and you just hope that that makes a difference in their life in the future. And so that I I was having one of those moments and, you know, realizing I don't feel anything right now. It was now. like stone cold. Yeah. And, and it was really frustrating. And that's why I, I think that's when I kind of made a decision that I was like, I can't, I can't keep doing this because it's taking a part yeah. of who I am. Yeah. And, uh, so now and, he embraces the emotion. I think, yeah, it's still embarrassing to me. Yeah. I don't love it, but at the same time, it is part of kind of how I am and how people, I feel like I can show to people that, I, listen, there's deep down in me, there's a piece that cares about you. And, um, and even if I'm harsh sometimes or I'm very straightforward, um, 
you know, I'm, I'm going to give my all for you, you know, like it, and I'm going to, I'm going to do everything that I can to make sure that if you want to follow Jesus, that I'm going to make sure that you're able to do it. And that I'm going to, you know, that, that I can bring you to a place that you can, that you can come to meet him and that you can enter, you know, you can enter into a relationship with him. And I, and I, I always wanted that for all these kids and that, you know, at, at the end of the day that they know that they're loved by somebody. And so, you know, that's, kind of have some emotional baggage that comes along with it whenever you give a lot of time like that so anyways so that's my that's my embarrassing story um thanks for sharing it's one that will keep me thanks for being forced to share it it will be it will probably keep me up tonight (laughs) there are plenty more to go along with it uh plenty more um but none quite to that level i've never had anybody else catch snot for me so i appreciate you out there former youth minister (laughs) Uh, so anyways, so we're going to jump into uh, Exodus again. Um, so we we finished Exodus uh, 16. Really, uh, so once they got out of out of Egypt and they and they passed through the waters, it has just seemed like it, it even ever since they right after they finished singing this song of praise, it seemed like they've there's kind of been this degradation to their faith. Um, that God leads them out there into the out into the desert. And the point seems to be that he's removing everything from them so that they can learn to trust in him. And God is very patient. Uh, at the end of chapter 15 and, and through 16, we just see a lot of opportunities for God to like rain down thunder, you know, and lightning on these people and, you know, smite smite the people for not believing in him. But that's just not the way that he operates. And it, it, it's, he's giving, he's being patient with them and he's teaching them teaching the way a father would teach his children. Um, and so that's that's the kind of God that we're running into here in the beginning uh, uh, of their wilderness wandering is is one that's patient with them and listening to them and, you know, hearing their cries of frustration and being like, you know, <laughs> look at what I've done for you guys, but okay. And he, he kind of goes goes with them and, and is patient and in his, his loving kindness and his steadfast love, his, his hesed. Uh, he leads them out into the desert to come to, to know him at Sinai. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna keep going on that path. This is gonna continue. Um, and so in, in seventeen, we're we're gonna. This is a almost fairly well known story, but we usually know it by the its alternate story that's in Numbers. Um, but uh, just so you know, like all these things kind of stack up on either side of Sinai. They have a lot of the same stories, and it's to show the centrality of Sinai and also the changes uh, following Sinai. But in Exodus uh, 17, we're going we're gonna to pick up here and read this next little story of them. Again, remember, they're in the wilderness. They're in the desert place. There's nothing nothing there for them, but God has provided manna uh, that was in 16 for their, for their provision, uh, and they're continuing in through, into the desert. So here, let's read this first section. All right. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of Sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, 
What am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, Walk on ahead of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock, and and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of of Israel. And he called the place Massah and Meribah, because the Israelites quarreled, and because they tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord amongst us or not? Okay, so <clears throat> they're they're getting closer to Sinai. We we get senses of that whenever um, it says that the rock was at Horeb. So Horeb was the place where um, where they um, where Sinai was. So there's a there's they're getting almost close to this foot the foot of the mountain, I suppose, inching towards it. Um, they're being given manna in the desert. This is a daily thing. Uh, this is still going on from 16. I don't think it's assumed that it has, it has stopped. So they're getting daily bread from heaven um, through the manna. And it seems like their response um, is it, they just they go a little bit further and they have the same problem that they had at the end of chapter 15, which was, we have no water to drink. Why did you lead us out here just to die in the desert? So what what are your thoughts on, on this little section? I can't help but kind of roll my eyes at them. But then at the same time, I do feel a lot of, well, I'm not that much different. Like yeah. I am starting to see myself more in them. Um, but I mean, I it, it does, <laughs> I think because it is like the same, it just feels dramatic for them to be like you've led us out here to die when it's yeah. when up to this point God has provided and provided and provided at the same time that happens in my life all the time where God provides 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 and then I can be dramatic about something that I don't need to be dramatic about yeah um but i think to me what kind of stood out the most the first time i read this was kind of the stuff that you don't see which is um, kind of like the Lord's reaction in, in terms of, I don't, know, I don't know how to say this, but just he doesn't respond again with like, why are you, he, he doesn't respond in anger. Mm-hmm. He responds with what you were saying earlier, has said. And yeah, with patience. With and patience. Mercy and, and provision. And he's, instead of <clears throat> being like, um, I provided for you up to this point. What makes you think I'm not going to keep providing? Yeah. He just provides. He doesn't he doesn't scold them. He just provides and yeah. he just gives grace and mercy and yeah. love. I think I think for me and you what this really I mean we we've got visual pictures of this daily. Oh yeah. Right. I mean we've got things that look just like this every single day that occurs in our house. Yeah. Um and that is that um we can we will have we'll we'll all sit down to dinner you know melissa will have made dinner mm-hmm. and we're all sitting down um and we forgot to get drinks for everybody and um all of a sudden um caleb will want juice which juice to him that that's lemonade <laughs> um lemonade is juice to caleb and and he'll want lemonade and we've got lemonade in the refrigerator and it is my will that he can have some lemonade at dinner. 
It's my will that he that he can that he can have that. But whenever he says, you know, like whenever we all sit down and he's like, "Where's my lemonade?" That's very different to me than. I Daddy, have, can I yeah. please have some lemonade? Mm-hmm. You know, it, it like it's not that I'm like trying to withhold lemonade from him. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just that, hey, you know, like I want him to ask me for it, ask me for it nicely, be a, be a, be a good boy, you know, and like ask it for me nicely. I want to give you something good, mm-hmm. um, and it's like this. It, it and I don't want it to to say to be like, oh, well, God, God forgot that they would need food in the desert. That's not what, that's not what I'm saying. Um, instead what, what it is, is that, um, I think that he, um, he want, he does want them to approach him in some way and ask for it. Um, and not, and not, and not, but not, not in the way that they do it. Yeah. So he, he does want his people to come to him and ask him, um, to intercede and to say, listen, you're the one who provides water. Yeah. You're the one who provides us water. So, can you know, like, we would love it if you could give us some water. Yeah. You know? yeah. As Instead, they quarrel with Moses, his representative, and fight with him. Um, and, you know, make all of this com- considerably harder. It's just like the moment at the table where whenever Caleb yells at me about the lemonade, I'm much less likely to give him lemonade at that point. Even though I want to. I want to be able to. He makes it really hard for me be, to be able to do it. Um, but even in, even with that being the case, it's like he's patient. Like it's almost like Caleb yells at me and says, "Give me some lemonade." And I'm like, okay. "I'm like, okay, you know, all right, well, I'll go get you some lemonade." And I I don't mean that from a like you know he's just he's just giving in to them. But I think he is being patient with them. Yeah. Um. You know, I I probably won't take from this story that to I say, parent to say that to say that whenever Caleb <laughs> demands sense. lemonade that I should give him lemonade. Right. Um it's just that there are moments that we should we need to try to show patience and guide um our children. Uh and just the same way God is doing that. Yeah. I think with, with the children of Israel. He's trying he is trying to show them I you do get things from me. Yeah. And I do want to provide for you. Um, but I want you to approach me a little bit differently than what you're doing right now. Yeah. Um, I definitely think it's, it's interesting with this chapter and the last chapter of like, obviously God knows that they need food and they need water. mm -hmm. He, he knows that. So I think part of me, and I think some people may question, why doesn't he just know that they're going to need, like, obviously you need water to survive. Um, why didn't he just provide it before they even had an opportunity to ask? And I do, I think after we kind of talked about it some, I just kind of came to the conclusion that it's just like the whole point of everything with the plagues with the Egyptians was so that the Egyptians could come to know God. And in this same way, I think that it's so that the Israelites now can come to know God and know that they can't survive without him and kind of putting some reliance, um, on, you know, realizing that they need to rely on him and they need to pursue a relationship with him. And that's what God wants. Yeah. And that's not really all that. It's not really different from before. It's almost just like a a, rev, a revelation of the truth of the matter that God's the one that holds the whole world together anyways. Mm-hmm. You need, you rely on me every day, but you just don't realize it. 
and now he's removed all of that stuff so that they can better see that he is the provider of everything that they need. And he's the one that, that, that holds everything together. And the more they actually have the world pulled away from them, the more they can realize like how, how Yahweh keeps it all together. Mm -hmm. And that it's, it's only in him that they find rest. It's only in him that they find provision. And so whenever they do, and this may end up just being a broken record, I guess, but like whenever, and maybe that's kind of the point. It's like, you just hear it over and over and over again. And maybe it will click at some point to be like, ah, you know, like I, I'm relying on, I'm relying on this other thing mm-hmm. instead of Yahweh. I'm relying on my job. You know, the, whenever I'm I'm fearful about my job t- being taken from me, oh, that's because I put my trust and my provision on God, or I'm so on my on, on my yourself. job instead yeah. of instead instead of God. Um, and so, um, I think, um, in instances like that, it, it's to realize like almost where your fears are, the things that you fear are the things that you're actually worshiping. Um, they're fearing um, not having water in the desert that kind of worship water. They don't worship Yahweh, you know, like they're worshiping that that thing that they fear missing. Yeah. Uh, they fear losing. And even Egypt, they kind of still worship Egypt because they want to go back there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, he's removing all of these idols from them so that they can look to him for his provi- for, for provision instead. So another thing that I wanted to point out is kind of Moses's response to the Lord and how he cries out to the Lord. And I specifically want to talk about this in light of what will happen in the next section, which we'll we'll dig into more in a minute. But Moses Moses' response to the Lord is, "What am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me." And you can kind of sense this isolation, this aloneness in this statement of Mm -hmm. everybody else is against me. Like everyone who I'm supposed to be kind of on a team with here is, is against me in this situation. So to the point that they they want to kill him, which seems kind of crazy too, in terms of, which I don't know how much Moses is exaggerating or if he really believes that they want to stone him. Um, but it's just, it's very interesting that he, it, I don't know, to me, it just seems like he feels alone. It also, um, is interesting to me that he still seems to, he's not, he is obviously with the people as well, and he also needs water. And so I think it's really cool that he's not going to God saying, yeah, I need water too. He's, he knows that God will provide that at some point. I think it kind of shows in a way his trust in God up to this point of like knowing he's going to provide, but not knowing what to do in this meantime. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I think he's still trying to figure out what, what is my role here? God, like, Mm -hmm. why did you put me in this position? These people hate me, you know? And so he's still questioning God's choice of him as well. You know, like, why did you give me this people? they're they're get they're getting ready to kill me. They don't trust me. Um but then at the same time it's like he he is recognizing it's not him. It's Yahweh that they don't trust because they he says why do you test Yahweh? Mm-hmm. Which is a which is a play on the previous section which is Yahweh says that I'm going to test them so that um you know to to see if they will follow my law or not, which is to are they going to trust in my word? 
Or are they going to go their own way? It's the same. It's the Garden of Eden choice. Are they going to trust in what I told them? Or are they going to choose their own wisdom uh, and go their own way? Instead, now not only do they not pass the test, which was fine because he's trying to be patient with them. He's not like trying to be malicious. This isn't a malicious test where this, you know, professor's giving an impossible, uh, you know, impossible questions, just waiting for them to fail. That's not what he's doing. He's trying to teach them. Um, and he's trying to get them to see who he really is. But instead, they turn it around and they test him, which is to, to say, again, like, it's the same but reversed. It, they're trying to see, will Yahweh follow our commands or not? They're trying to demand from Yahweh and manipulate him to give them what he wants, what they want. And he does, he does do it, um, but ultimately, this is going to be the thing that uh, you know, that that's going to be, you do not test, you know, you shall not test the Lord your God at, in, in Deuteronomy 6, that's quoted, do not test the Lord your God as you did at Massah, which is where they are right now, the way mm-hmm. that you did here. Um, so that command is going to be, don't do that. Don't manipulate God in order to get what you want from him. That That's not, mm-hmm. that's not what this is. That's not what this relationship is. It isn't a, um, you know, give us what we want, and then and then you'll be our God kind of thing. That's not what this relationship is. Um, and so whenever they then test him, that's a, it's it's somewhat of a manipulation um, in seeing if, you know, if God will take care of their, you know, do do what they demand. So it, it's in both, te- in both cases, the testing seems to be, will they, will, will that other person go according to my law or not? And so whenever they're testing Yahweh, they're making their own laws, I think, in their heart about who who Yahweh should be. And so I think we do that a lot where we say, you know, we start, we read scripture according to our own law, <laughs> you know, the things that we want it to be, um, as opposed to trying to let it tell us who God is. We want to tell God who he is. And, uh, and you know, I think that's obviously, I think, the wrong way to go mm-hmm. um, when we do it. So... Uh, yeah, so they're they're testing um, him or testing Yahweh, and Moses is feeling pretty alone. But but God God does give him a solution to the matter, um, and tells him, um, you know, to go out and then there's, um, you know, to take the elders with him, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, there's going to be a rock. There's a rock there, and the staff, which was on the leaving Egypt checklist yeah well yeah well the staff was that which Yahweh did all of his works through you know Uh which is through Moses the staff the symbol of uh kingship kind of thing um that through Moses uh he works with this rock uh and all of a sudden from the rock comes out water that pours out of it so that the people can drink at Horeb Uh um and it just says that it happens and but the ultimate question that it seems that they have is that at the end of verse seven, it's like the thing they tested Yahweh Yahweh by saying, "Is Yahweh in our midst or not?" You know, it's, there's this question that's with them. They like got the cloud and fire before them, and they're like, "Are you with us or not?" You know, are you are you for us or? But there again, it it's one of those questions that I feel like we read it, and the biblical author is inviting us in. To be like, look at how stupid these guys are. Yeah. And there at the same time, he's putting his arm around you and he's like, I'm talking about you. Yeah. Um, and the way that we react to God and the things that he brings us through. And we we still just say, are you with me or not? 
You know, are you for me or against me? And, um, and, you know, I think God looks at us and he's just like, yeah, of course I'm for you, you know, and I, I'm, but I'm trying to teach you and I'm trying to, to bring you through these things and show you who I am. I want you to know me. I want to dwell in your midst. That's what, that's who I want to be. But that doesn't mean that I just give you all the things that you want. That doesn't mean that we just, that I just am this, uh, you know, this constant, um, yeah, I'm not. I'm not just like a free grocery store, you know, <laughs> like I, yeah. or whatever. What I don't know how you, what the right phrase, the you know, analogy would be for it, but he's not just like this blank check that you know I just get to go say give me this and he gives me that and I say give me that and he gives it to me, and um, so it that's just not the, what the relationship is. Um, he does want the best for his children. Sometimes that means he doesn't give them exactly what they want at the moment that they ask for it. Um, so interesting things with this, this is a story that's going to get used quite a few times. I mentioned it, it's already mentioned in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy brings it back up of like, don't test the Lord your God. Well, if you've ever read your New Testament, you probably know that, um, know that verse, um, because Jesus quotes it. Um, he quotes it in his temptation whenever he goes out into the wilderness, uh, he's tempted by the devil, uh, in Matthew chapter four, you can find this. Uh, one of the things that uh, it says that um, that the devil does with him, he says, then the devil took him to the holy city, that's Jerusalem, and he placed him on the highest point of the temple and said to him, if, which he's questioning what happened at the baptism of Jesus, was like, this is my son and him, I'm well pleased. He's questioning, he's making, trying to get Jesus to question what was told to him. He says, if, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and also this, on their hands they will lift you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, on the other hand it is written, you are not to put the Lord your God to the test. So the way that he answers it is by thinking about Deuteronomy, and but ultimately what the, what the devil here is trying to get him to do uh, is to manipulate God. He said, now God said that he would do this for you, so why don't you prove it? Why don't you prove that that's what God would do? And so he's he's asking him to manipulate the situation um, and to to prove the thing that God had just told him. The thing that God had just told him whenever he was baptized at, at the Jordan. Um, and so it's the same thing. I mean, it's the, the same very thing that happens in the Exodus narrative. It's like, if God is really with us, then he'll do this. You know, if God is really this, but it's like, I just led you through the, the waters. And the same very thing happens in the Garden of Eden. It says, did God really say that you couldn't eat of any fruit of the garden? You know, which he manipulates. Again, he manipulates God's words to try to get them to do something they know that they're not supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and also making them question, is God for us or not? Right? Is, is, is God for me? It sounds like he's holding out on me, the way that this slanderer is talking to you know, talking about it. Um, so Jesus very much is like, you have to make the double tie. You got to go to Deuteronomy because that's where it says, thou shalt not test the Lord your God. But then it says, at, like you did at Messiah, which takes you back to this story in Exodus chapter 17. Um, another thing, do you have any other thoughts on that? Not on that part okay. in particular, no. Um, another thing where this comes up is in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Um I'm just going to read this short section. Of course, I'm very much reading it out of context, which I don't enjoy doing all the time, but 
just food for thought. If you want to go read, it helps. This story helps fill out the things that Paul's talking about in First Corinthians. First uh, Corinthians chapter ten, he says, "For I do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all went through the sea." He's talking about the Exodus story, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank this the same spiritual drink. Notice how he talks about the food; it's spiritual. Manna is spiritual. It's a blessing from heaven. Mm-hmm. It's it's of the spirit. It's a it's a blessing of God. And the and the drink, this water, is a blessing of God. He calls it a spirit. It's not like a ethereal thing. It's a very physical thing that's that's spiritual. Um and then he goes on to say, For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was Christ. But God has not pl- or was not pleased with the majority of them, for they were struck down in the desert. Spoiler alert, people die in the desert. <laughs> Things don't go so well oh. after Sinai. Um, but uh, his, his reference is to Exodus 17 and another story where Moses strikes the rock. But this rock moves around with them. It's, not like th- it's just like this big rock. That seems to follow them around in the desert. It's it's a really odd situation, um, but this rock follows them around. And what Paul does is he looks at the rock and he sees the water that comes from the rock, and he calls it Christ. He says the rock was Christ, and that is to say that I I, I think that um, those blessings in the desert, these blessings that were that are happening in, in Exodus seventeen, they're blessings of. of of God, their blessings of the Messiah, that the water pours out from them and gives them life. He's equating these things together. So I don't want to do too much with that right now. I think it's something that's better fit for a first Corinthians discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, another instance of a, if you don't know Exodus, it's going to be really hard to fill that out. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's referencing Exodus 17, calling, equating the rock with, with the Christ, mm-hmm. uh, who's the king of Israel, um, who's going to be around with them wherever they go in the desert. Um, really, just really interesting. So, um, you have any other thoughts on uh, Exodus uh, 17? Or, I'm sorry, on this first section? Uh, I just, something that really stuck out to me when we were reading this is in verse, I guess the second part of verse 6 of, so Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. Mm-hmm. And to me, it just... It kind of stuck with me, um, again, back to this idea of coming to know God and having witnesses to this event so that they could go back to all the Israelites and tell about what has just happened. And I just think that that's a really cool thing. Again, it kind of reminds me of the Great Commission, too, in a sense of like going and telling about what you have seen. And... um, I don't know. I just think that that's a very important thing, uh, a very important aspect of what God asks him to do. It's, yeah. I mean, because it's, he needs those other people to see, because again, Moses is feeling kind of lonely. Uh, and in the sense of nobody seems to actually believe <laughs> yeah. in him. Despite in all of the signs. Yeah. Despite all of the signs and the ultimate sign that they're actually, <laughs> You know, the one that was supposed to be, this is the sign that I'm with you, that you worship me at this mountain. Mm-hmm. They're coming to the foot of the mountain right now right. at Horeb. 
And so that sign is being fulfilled right before them, and they can't see it. Yeah. And they don't, they don't recognize it for what it is. And just the same, like, I mean, there's so many ties with Jesus. I'm just like, you know, like, Jesus is going around giving all these signs. And then they, they have the audacity to ask, what sign will you give us to prove that you're the Messiah? And he he's says, like, uh. Well, and, and he tells them, okay, fine. I'm, there's no other sign of the sign of Jonah that I'm going to give you. You know, like even if a person was to raise from the dead, would you not? You wouldn't. You wouldn't believe it. Yeah. Um. And so, anyways, that's a that's a rabbit hole, but <laughs> it's just a another instance where I'm just like, man, despite all the signs, despite everything that's going on, they still can't just it just doesn't click with them. Mm-hmm. That they can't seem to figure it out, and you know, let's not let's be humble towards that and say. <sighs> why can't I figure this stuff out? You know, yeah. it seems like it should be so obvious to me whenever I count my blessings, you know, when I count all the things that God has done. Instead, we we make our place Massah and Meribah, which is um, the place of testing and the uh, and of quarreling, quarreling, of quarreling or attack, mm-hmm. where, we, where we quarrel against God instead of recognize his provision. All right, so we're going to move on here uh, and pick up in verse 8. And Amalek, random character, and Amalek came and fought with Israel from Rephidim, or at Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, first time we've heard Joshua, uh, said to Joshua, choose men for us and go out, fight against Amalek tomorrow. I will be standing on the top of the hill and the staff of God will be in my hand. And Joshua did as Moses had said, to him and uh, to fight with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And when Moses raised his hands, Israel would prevail. But when he rested his hand, Amalek would prevail. But the hands of Moses were heavy, and they took a stone and placed it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on each side, and his hands were steady until sundown. And Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And Yahweh said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in the scroll and recite it in the hearing of Joshua, because I will utterly blot out the the remembrance of Amalek from under the heavens. And Moses built an altar, and he called his name, its name Yahweh is my banner. And he said, Because a hand was against the throne of Yah, a war will be for Yahweh with Amalek from generation to generation. I have so many thoughts. Okay. Um, who are these people? <laughs> yeah, brand new characters all of a sudden brought into the fold, and like, there's no introduction to them. Yeah, but like, we've got the Amalekites. Which, what are they doing wandering around in the desert? Why are they at Sinai? Yeah. Okay. Oh, um, and then. Joshua, you know, if you read this chapter in isolation, you'd be like, oh, yeah, Joshua. Yeah, we know about him. But it's like he's come out of the blue. <laughs> and then. Yeah. Reading reading this for the first time. You don't know who Joshua like, is. What did I miss? You something? have no idea who Joshua You're like is. flipping back through yeah. ec- the beginning of Exodus. Um, and then her. H-U-R her. Uh, don't know. Don't know that guy. Yeah. Um. And so it it was just kind of like I, I kind of did a double take of like, Joshua, we haven't read about Joshua yet, and I so it's just it's kind of interesting. I think I I equated it to, um, how the new Spider Man movies, 
um, they don't go back, like, the first, so I guess there's been, like, three iterations of versions of Spider-Man movies since, like, 2002, and when they first, the first two iterations of the movies, um, they did... Origin story. Yeah, they did origin story. They did Peter Parker's backstory of how he got bit by a spider and turned into Spider-Man, and then on the latest one, um, they just skipped that part because everybody already knows it. Yeah. And, like, it would just be repetitive to be like, yeah, he got bit by a spider. He got powers. Like, we like, know. am I going to spend 45 minutes yeah. dealing with his origin again? <laughs> We're not doing that again. Everybody knows he got bit by a spider. Which they do that with Miles Morales. But I guess maybe you yeah. don't really know for sure what his right. backstory is. Anyways, so... We were just talking about how we've got to remember that this is the Torah Mm -hmm. and how the readers of this probably been like, oh, yeah, Joshua. Like, they already know maybe his backstory. Yeah, that's what the author seems to assume. You know who Joshua is because he's part of our heritage. Right. You know, he's like, he's the he's like who brought us into the land. You know who Joshua is. He needs no introduction. Right. And so that I, I think that's kind of part of it is this like, oh yeah, um, you know, Yeshua, we know him. Mm-hmm. And um and so he uh yeah, no introduction. So same for the Amal uh, you know, the the Amalekites, you know, they hate the Amalekites. They hate the Amalekites for a long time. Um that doesn't actually come to an end until Esther, which you can go back and listen to our Esther podcast, um, with a guy named Haman. Um, that comes to an end. Um, so, Haman, Haman Haman is an Agagite. Agag, Agag is in Samuel. He's the king of the Amalekites. Samuel in Samuel, Saul fails to kill all the Amalekites as he's supposed to. You know, as he's instructed to, uh, and so he, you know, he starts falling from power. Well, the Amalekites wouldn't end up, you know, being utterly destroyed, I suppose, and this fulfilled until Esther. So, anyways. Fun fact. Yeah, that's just a thing that came up while we were doing the study on Esther. Um, So, I I think it's such a short little story of this battle. It it doesn't seem to matter at all anything that's actually going on on the battlefield. Yeah. None of that seems to really matter. All that seems to matter is what's going on with Moses. Um, Yeah, and this is so interesting to me because I felt like I knew this part of the story. It's like I remember I I remember knowing about how people helped hold up Moses's arms, but I didn't really think about where it was in the story and the context of it, which is why I mentioned in the last section, it feels like Moses is alone. Mhm. In the sense of he's like what am I to do with these? He's talking to God about this. He's not talking to like the Israelites that are on his side or anything. And so then to see this like such a different picture here of all of a sudden you have this community of people who are working together. And I've always thought about this story as being like how we need community, how we can't do things on our own and, and, and things like that. Um, but now when I see it, it's like, this is finally the moment where Moses, who's always identified as a foreigner seems to be re- like fitting in. Like, yeah, well, really? and, and he's being, he's kind of being lifted up by yeah. them. Yeah. Uh, that he's there, I guess they're, they're almost recognizing, um, his leadership. Um, and that 
hey, whenever we whenever we hold him up, um, and we allow him to to praise God the way that he needs to, you know, I think that's maybe the, you don't know that directly. The story doesn't necessarily say that. He just has uplifted arms, um, which uplifted arms is what they had like whenever they came out of Egypt. It seemed like in celebration and in praise to God for their deliverance. Um, and so I, I think that's kind of, it's like a giving, you know, in a exaltation of Yahweh. Mm -hmm. And then they're kind of exalting the, you know, not, not that they're worshiping Moses, but they're, you know, helping him, I guess, to, as the intercessor to raise his hands before Yahweh and exalt Yahweh. Um, yeah. And I mean, I guess you always have known Aaron is on Moses's side. Yeah. Um, her, we don't really, I don't know anything about him. Um, but then also just the fact that Moses was able to tell Joshua, hey, go out, pick some men and fight, like shows that he does have, um, that people are listening to him. Yeah. Even though they were quarreling with him just right. before this, they were fighting him about, about water. Um, but now it seems like they're, they're starting, or at least it, it seems like in this instance, they're trusting him. Right. Um, and that he does have some some community, um, some people that he can trust to help him lead. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what these people seem to be. You know, mm -hmm. th there's going to be maybe some some folks that he can put some trust in. Um, I, I think this is this is really interesting with the with his arms. It says and his hands were steady until sundown um, that that word steady. Uh, it's the it's the Hebrew word imunah. Uh, which has the root imun. Um, that's where we get the word amen. So if you think about whenever you say amen at the end of a prayer, it comes from this root word imun. That means that it's trustworthy, it's steady, it's steadfast, it's faithful. It has it's it's able to withstand trials, um, and so that's what his arms here are imun. It's they're imunah. Um, meaning that they're they're steadfast um, with the support with the support that he gets from Aaron and her, um, but uh, I I think that I just think that that's a it's a really cool Hebrew word. It comes up in Exodus thirty thirty four six and seven, which we talk about a lot. It's it actually follows Hesed. It goes with with loyal love with Hesed and with imunah uh, with um, with faithfulness. It gets translated faithfulness. So the the I guess God's ability or His willingness to stand through something even when it hurts, um, and that His it's almost like He's a a good foundation, you know, like it it's immovable. Mm -hmm. Um, that seems to be the thing behind it. But whenever we say Amen, it comes from this word Imun. Um, so I I think that that that's really cool. Um, and then the end of this, um, has actually the first instruction on writing the Bible. <laughs> Of writing, uh, writing within the Bible, the first instruction on, hey, go write the Bible, mm -hmm. um, where he's instructed to to write all these things down so that Joshua would remember. Um, really cool, just kind of little uh, Bible inception. Um, can we back up for a second? Yeah. Uh, so we also talked yesterday about how this stone that Moses sits on. Okay. Um, and so. We had just read in the last section about a stone that was providing water, and then you read in First Corinthians mm -hmm. about um, 
how the stone is Christ. Yeah. And to me, this kind of is symbolizing this moment of of God ultimately supporting Moses too in this moment of of lifting him up or you know lifting him up in a sense to kind of help him through this moment. Yeah. Um and I just thought that was kind of a really a really cool touch to this story. Um it's like kind of easy to overlook, but like he was able to sit on a stone, which we're like, yeah, this stone that follows him around. Yeah, yeah, like. it's, it's it's interesting. <laughs> They're all different Hebrew words, um, but yeah. I I think that the, the the subject matter is very interesting. It's like he goes with complaints to God to say he says they're gonna stone me. Yeah. They're going to throw stones at me. And, and then he says, okay, they're going to stone you. I'll give you yes. a rock. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to give you a rock. Beat the resp- rock and water will come out. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to give you a rock as a response to them wanting to stone you. And then the following narrative, Moses gets tired and he sits down on the stone. Um, yeah. Again, all different Hebrew words. Um, but I, I th- uh, maybe there's a trend there. Maybe there's yeah. just like a subject of like... Pay attention to what happens to the rock. Um, and, and I think um, the rock in general is going to be a, in the scriptures, is a big deal. Um, it's something that is a big trace throughout the scriptures. I think one of the first places it comes up um, as a, you know, here's, you know, here's something to remember. Um, I, I think it's in, in Genesis 49 um, that um, Jacob, I think it's Jacob, calls... Yahweh, the rock, he's the rock uh, for us. And then in the Psalms, it's going to be, it's going to pick up a bunch. Here, it's, uh, you know, part of the story. And then you're going to see it in the in the New Testament. The rock, the rock, the rock, the one that everything is built off of. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that person is going to be the Messiah. The, it's going to be the Christ. Um, and so it kind of gives a little bit of, of, of feed in to, to, the, to whenever Jesus goes to, uh, you know, he's asking, who, who, who does everybody say that I am? And they're like, oh, some say that you're a prophet. Some say you're Elijah, right? And then he, he looks at Peter and says, who do you say that I am? And he says, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. Um, and Jesus tells him, you know, like, this is not, you know, this isn't something you came to your own. This is uh, something that has been revealed to you. Uh, and then he says, on this rock, I will build my church. A lot of people think that that's referencing Peter because that's what Peter's name means is rock. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm again, there's mul- maybe multiple yeah. layers to this where it's like, who is the rock that everything is built off of? It's the Messiah. It is Jesus, the Son of God. Um, and it's it's on that rock that everything is built. Um, and so I, I think whenever we, we start tying all these things together, again, we just see how it just continually points to Jesus, how the things that happened before are culminating in the person of Jesus. And he says, all of the, the rock that all of this is built on, that's me. Yeah. 